0: Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our ministry when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Hebrews 9 15 through 28, called Our Internal Inheritance.
1: We're going to be talking about our eternal inheritance, Hebrews chapter 9, picking it up at verse 15. Once you have it, if you're able, stand with us for the reading of the Word of God. We're going to start at verse 15 and read to the end of the chapter, 15 to 28, Hebrews 9. The writer starts off this way. He says, for this reason, he, Jesus, Hebrews 9, 15, is the mediator of a new covenant. So that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. That's our title tonight. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead, for it is never enforced while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. When every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and the goats with the water and the scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one one may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer once. Uh, He would needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ, also having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reading of your word. Your word is living and powerful. We learn that in Hebrews 4. It's alive. And it pierces deep and it gives us some of the deepest, most beautiful promises one could ever come across. And we are tonight going to bask in some of those promises and learn a little bit more about this new covenant, which you ushered in through your death on the cross and through your resurrection. And we are so grateful to be the recipients of an eternal inheritance. One, as Peter puts it, that is. Uh, not gonna be spoiled or defiled. No one's gonna take it away. It's reserved in heaven for us who are kept by the power of God. And we're so grateful for that keeping power, that sustaining power of the Holy Spirit, that down payment that you gave us guaranteeing our future inheritance. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for your presence in our lives. Your loving kindness, your goodness is better than life itself. And I pray tonight you would fill us up with that hope, that hope would be more and more the anchor of our souls as we navigate the stormy winds that can often be uh, found in this life. So help us, Lord, to just anchor ourselves to you and your promises. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen. You can have a seat, our eternal inheritance, some incredible uh, promises here in the word of God. So the writer starts off, and for this reason, 9.15, he looks back to verse 14 just for a moment. Take a look. He says, moving from the lesser to the greater, from the first to the second covenant, how much more will the blood of Christ, Hebrews 9.14, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, here's the beauty of it, cleanse your conscience, that was our message last time, from dead works to serve the living God. For this reason, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. Now, that new covenant has been inaugurated through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, and Christ is the mediator. When you hear the word mediator, just think of of the idea of a go-between. I've been listening to Alistair Begg teach through 1 Samuel, and he mentioned something that I hadn't heard before, but it's a pretty cool thought. He said the word champion, and I looked this up just to confirm it, in Hebrew, uh, when you look at 1 Samuel 17 and David fighting Goliath, Goliath was the champion of the Philistines. And he was the man that stood between the Philistines and the armies of Israel. Well, David, little, little young David, who came to basically bring lunch to his brothers, uh, heard that guy you know, challenging the armies of Israel and basically decided to take him on. And David became the champion of Israel. And you all know what happened, right? He hit him with a single rock from the sling. Down goes Goliath, (laughs) right? And then he cut his head off with his own sword. And the beautiful imagery here is the giants that we face, we have a great mediator. David is a type of Christ. Christ is our champion, and he is the go-between. In our case, he's not the go-between between a giant, but the giants of sin and death and all that faces us in this life that we have to face as fallen human beings. And so that's the beautiful thing of a mediator. Jesus is the ultimate mediator. Moses mediated for the people. We saw the image of David here. We know Paul prayed for his brethren to be saved. But Jesus is the ultimate mediator of the new covenant. That word covenant is dia feke. It's a key word in our study tonight. You might want to write it down if you're a note taker. Dia, D-I-A, feke, T-H-E-K-E. Now that word is going to switch in the text from what we know to be a covenant in all we've been learning about in terms of how covenants work. And we've learned how the covenant was inaugurated in the book of Exodus, where the commandments were given, the people agreed to do them, and then they were sprinkled with the blood. And the blood sealed that first covenant, that old covenant, if you will. But this word is gonna switch from covenant to testament. And we all hold Bibles that have an Old and New Testament. Maybe you wondered, what does that word really mean when we talk about a testament? Well, in this case, a testament has moved, and we'll move in verses 16 and 17 to, to the idea of a will and testament. And the, the writer is gonna shift now the focus from a covenant in a religious sense to give us an illustration, maybe we might say from everyday life or from maybe you would say secular life. And here's how we know this works, right? We know that perhaps, uh, you have a loved one and they get their affairs in order. We all know that at some point we have to face this idea of doing a living trust. Uh, some of you have gotten around to it fairly early. Others of you have waited and you realize that you've got to make some decisions about, you know, who's going to inherit your stuff, for example, and, you know, how you'll parse it out and how that's all going to work. And, and it's kind of a, Sobering experience in one sense, right? Because you're dealing with your own mortality and you're you're you know coming to grips with the fact that you're not gonna live forever and your future generations are gonna inherit whatever you can give them and hopefully you first and foremost give them your faith, right? Because that's the only thing that's really gonna last. The stuff will just be passed down until someone throws it away. But this is what's going on here and the writer is gonna shift Uh, in verses 16 and 17, and this is what he's hinting at. He says, he is the mediator of a new covenant in order that since a death has taken place for the redemption. Now that's the idea of buying back a person in slavery, redeeming them out of slavery. Of the the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called and when you think of the word called, I'm almost imagining here with the imagery that I just laid out for you, being called into like an official uh, attorney's office where an executor might tell you how stuff's been divided up. And you gotta show up to learn you know, what you've received and how it's all gonna map itself out. And he says this, he says, that we who have been called, and you can write down chapter three, verse one as a cross-reference, may receive the promise Of the eternal inheritance. So in this uh, you know image here of maybe a disbursement meeting that might take place, we would find out what the inheritance may be. We know it's eternal in quantity and quality, and it is to those who have been called who are going to receive it. Now the called would include, look at the middle of verse 15 or the, the latter part, those who were under the first covenant and maybe you have a question like many people do well what happened with people under the first covenant like moses or aaron or david or jonathan or solomon or you can come up with a bunch of different names right male and female sarah and you know others and you might say well if they lived and died prior to the death of jesus how is it that their sins were dealt with? Because we've been learning that the animal sacrifices may have been symbolic. Uh, at best, they only gave a temporary covering until you sin the next time. So maybe you got a temporary reprieve, but only till you blew it again. And then the sacrificial system chugged on and on year after year, week after week, etc. So what about those people? How is it that their sins were dealt with and that their sins were washed away so that they could be in heaven. Well, we might call the next next section Christ's last will and testament. And here's where the shift takes place. He says, for where a covenant is, if you have a New King James, it says a testament, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. There must also of necessity be the death of the testator, New King James in the case of a will, NIV, verse 16, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it.
0: You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Would you please consider
2: supporting Walk in Truth being on this radio station and podcast for at least $5 a month? And visit walkintruth.com to give. As a thank you, we'll send you more content from Pastor Michael and the Walk in Truth team. And you will get this content through our new Walk in Truth app. You will have quick access to our daily episodes. You can watch videos of Pastor Michael's most recent Sunday sermons. And access to our bonus podcast and video series, A Step Closer. This month's series is called An Invitation to Intimacy, A Look at Intimacy in Marriage, through the Song of Solomon. That's how I showed my anger. Mm -hmm. Not in words, but in, you can't have me. Mm -hmm. And that took a toll in our relationship. Even for me, in a church that didn't shy away from it, it wasn't talked about a ton, but I remember getting married and my wife and I being like, this is weird. Like, so it's good now, I guess. (laughs) There was infidelity just a lot of financial issues, you know, all those things that make the top list of of why a marriage is
1: hard. The Lord's given us all things to enjoy, the scriptures say, and freedom is a big word as a Christian. And unfortunately, what's happened in the church is that the church has not always sent a message that we're supposed to enjoy life and be free. We've put a lot of unnecessary weights on people,
2: All this and more is available to you on our new Walk in Truth app as a thank you for your financial gift. Please become a financial partner of at least $5 a month. Visit walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com.
0: We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. You can come up with a bunch of different names, right? Male
1: and female, Sarah and, you know, others. And you might say, well, if they lived and died prior to the death of Jesus, how is it that their sins were dealt with? Because we've been learning that the animal sacrifices may have been symbolic uh at best they only gave a temporary covering until you sin the next time so maybe you got a temporary reprieve but only till you blew it again and then the sacrificial system chugged on and on year after year week after week etc so what about those people how is it that their sins were dealt with and that their sins were washed away so that they could be in heaven Well, we might call the next section section Christ's last will and testament, and here's where the shift takes place. He says, for where a covenant is, if you have a New King James, it says a testament, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. There must also of necessity be the death of the testator, New King James in the case of a will, NIV, verse 16, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. For a covenant, 17, is valid only when, when men are dead. You can translate this now as a testament or a will is in force, New King James, after men are dead since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Now in the imagery, Jesus is both the executed one and the executor of the will. He's the one that pays the ransom by his death to give you the inheritance, and he's the executor of the will. That is, he's the one who's gonna disperse all the blessings of your inheritance. And do you know what he has decided to give his children? Everything. Everything. All that belongs to Christ, belongs to his people. See, when you got adopted into his family, this is the beauty of the result of your salvation. We focus a lot on our salvation and we should because it is the centerpiece of our faith. But the result of our salvation is an eternal inheritance. And it's been purchased by Christ and he is going to disperse it to his people one day. And all that that means, and all that that looks like, we don't yet quite know everything. We have hints of it in the Bible, what we will inherit, but we know that the promises are going to be ours, and they're eternal in quantity and quality. There's nothing you have right now that could ever compare to that, because everything that we have right now is temporal, right? I don't know how many years God's gonna give me, but I know that I'm at one point in my human existence, unless Christ comes in my lifetime, I'm gonna be on the side of drawing up papers to leave my stuff to somebody else. And Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, decries that thought. It's kind of a bummer to him, because he says, I don't know how they're going to take care of it. Whether it's your Harley Davidson that you've surrounded with plexiglass in the garage. You know, I did that for a while until... I didn't ride it anymore, and then I sold my Harley. But whatever it may be, whatever is nearest and dearest to you, it might not matter to somebody else, but you're going to give it away. You're going to pass it on. And God so loved you that he not only purchased you, but he wants you to inherit the kingdom. And the kingdom is a place where every tear will be gone there will be no more curse the garden will be recaptured i told you i taught a class for 4th 5th and 6th graders and i was talking about some of these image these images and i was at a public school which is uh, what bible release time is doing going into public schools and keep that in prayer and i maybe you want to be part of that we've got the bus you've seen the bus out here right and i taught this idea that you know it's going to be eden recaptured in the new Jerusalem and the new heavens and new earth and one of the students there I think it was a fourth or fifth grader said Pastor Michael I just have one question are we going to be naked (laughs) and I was like I certainly hope not (laughs) in fact that might I think that became a, a prayer request following that class please Lord let us have coverings anyway sorry to plant that thought in your mind but In the case of a will, reading from the NIV, verse 16, it's necessary to prove the death of someone who made it. So maybe you've been the recipient of, uh, perhaps you had a relative pass away and they divvied up some inheritance and maybe you got a part of that. And maybe you knew the person and there was a close relationship with them or maybe they were a distant Relative, you didn't even know about them, and all of a sudden, you know, some, something comes your way. Let's just say some money comes your way. That That's a nice little surprise if that happens, but it means all the more if you know the person who left it to you, amen? Because now you know that they wanted you to have this because of their love for you. And this is the story of our salvation, is that our God so loved us that not only did he purchase our salvation, but he wants to give us everything. And we know our first parents messed it up, right? They, they had all of this beauty, these beautiful conditions. They were told, just don't touch that one tree. <laughs> and, and we know what happened, right? They blew it. And we've been reaping the whirlwind of that sin for a long, long time. And so Jesus Christ is the mediator and the testator, if you will. He's the one who died for our sins, and he's also the executor of the will. And it's as if he says, Father, I want them to have everything that you've given me. And his inheritance, interestingly enough, is is us. Do you know that the son Uh, it's, it's pictured in Psalm chapter two, ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. The son Christ is given us as his inheritance. And the way that that got purchased was through his blood. And that's where the writer is going next. He says, therefore, even the first covenant, now speaking of the old covenant, verse 18 was not inaugurated without blood For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people, this is back in Exodus 24, if you're taking notes, uh, to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool, which is, by the way, not mentioned in Exodus 24, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. And this is what he said. He said, this is the blood of the covenant. Which God commanded you in Matthew twenty six twenty eight for your notes, Jesus very similar word says, "This is the blood, this is my blood of the covenant." Matthew twenty six twenty eight. Now the new which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. So write down Matthew twenty six twenty eight, and right there maybe in your margin with Hebrews nine twenty, the first covenant was inaugurated with blood. We can see what, whose blood it was. It was the blood of calves and goats and so forth, and the blood of bulls. That blood, we learn in Hebrews 10 verse 4, it was impossible for it to take away sin. And so that's why the people under the first covenant only saw the promise from a distance. Moses saw it from a distance. David saw it from a distance. They had some prophecy about the coming of the Messiah, right? In the Psalms and Isaiah and other places, but they didn't see the full full, fulfillment of it. Abraham saw it from a distance. We'll learn that in Hebrews chapter 11. But nonetheless, he believed in the Lord and he was looking forward to the Messiah as we now look back to the Messiah, And the promise of the new covenant is retroactive for everyone who lived before Jesus died. That one sacrifice is retroactive. That is, it pays for all the past sins leading up to the time that Jesus died on the cross and all the sins that would be committed post the cross and resurrection. Amen. So if you ever had a question about, well, what's the significance of an animal sacrifice? Maybe it had some temporary reprieve for people. How did Moses get saved? Abraham get saved? The same way we do, they looked forward to the cross or to the Messiah. We look back. That's why the cross of Jesus Christ is the pivotal moment or event in world history. And really his life has dated the calendar of the world.
0: You've been listening to Our Internal Inheritance, part one on Walk in Truth. That was Pastor Michael's teaching in Hebrews 9, 15 through 28. And if you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is always available on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many other podcast apps. Listen for free to Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. And would you please tell a friend about Walk and Truth? We hope today's teaching will be a blessing and uplifting to someone you care about. Would you please encourage a friend or family member to listen to Walk in Truth on this station? If you're listening through your podcast app, please click the share button. Thanks so much for spreading the word about Walk in Truth. And just a reminder that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Please consider becoming a Walk in Truth partner. Your contribution helps us broadcast on this station and provide the podcast to reach more people like you with the hope of Jesus. And now we offer the Walk in Truth app as a thank you for your donation. Please consider becoming a Walk in Truth partner for at least $5 a month. Visit walkintruth.com and click donate. That's walkintruth.com. And join us Monday for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Hebrews 9, 15 through 28, called Our Eternal Inheritance. I'm Mike Massaro. On behalf of Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.